0: The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to The Echo Chamber podcast. This is Arun Sudhaman from The Homes Report and we're joined today by Jenny Anderson, who's a reporter from Quartz. Jenny, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So we're here to talk about next week's World Economic Forum 2017 in Davos. This is not uh, the first time you've been to the event, but it's taking place um, against quite a backdrop of tumultuous political events. I mean, how do you see the World Economic Forum perhaps being different from previous years uh, in 2017?
1: Well, I think they'll be grappling with the widespread rejection of their very own worldview. Mm-hmm. I think there is a Davos consensus is very much the liberal consensus is very much trade. Unfettered trade is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, inequality is a problem that we should discuss at great length <laughs> and then move on to cutting the next deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they kind of have to move from the abstract You know, the abstract threats have become realities. There's certainly been talk of this inequality could really hurt us. This Mm -hmm. inequality could have consequences. Well, it has. Mm -hmm. We've had Brexit. We've had Trump. We have a very different world. And so I think uh, the positive view would be there will be some more soul-searching. You know, will the Davos man and the very few women there view this with humility and think more and reach out to talk to people who are less like them, or will they deal with it with hostility and sort of uh, disdain, which I think was kind of the view of Trump last year. Disdain and let's not waste too much time on him because he will not be a problem we have to contend with.
0: Mm. And, And even, I think, a certain amount of humor as well. I think people still saw it as a joke. Uh, to a certain extent, that he had gotten this far, um, but that he wouldn't get any further.
1: Absolutely. I remember on one panel last year, a very uh, widely respected historian Mm. um, answering a question from a woman who said, I'm so embarrassed that this person is a candidate. And he said, oh, fret not. There are populists everywhere in the world. The difference with the United States is they don't elect their populists. You're safe. It won't happen. Mm. Didn't work out that way.
0: So history is, is upended, and as you pointed out, the, the kind of Davos elite consensus has been rejected. Does that not make Davos less relevant than ever? The fact that the, the kind of thinking that has underpinned the event for so long um, appears to be, a, a, I mean, I don't know if it's too extreme a word, but it appears to be obsolete.
1: I'd say Davos has always been a little bit irrelevant, Mm. and I don't uh, mean that in a super snarky way, but it's really been a gathering of people to reinforce their own sets of views. It's very much a forum to get business done. Mm. Um, Most of the business people I know see it as an opportunity to meet with 50 clients in one place in the space of three days. You know, It's not um, uh, the motto of it may be making the world a better place. (laughs) Uh, But I think the execution of it was often quite transactional. Mm -hmm. Um, But you could also make the case that maybe it's more relevant than ever because they are no longer in power, Um, or they have lost a significant amount of power from a year ago. And will that prompt different thinking? Will businesses be thinking about how to retrain and offer better skills to workers to expand employment opportunities? Will people be talking about education uh, as much as they're talking about GDP? Um, so uh, there's an opportunity, but uh, I think I have to argue that Davos has never been hugely relevant except to the people who are there.
0: <laughs> the the world The people behind the World Economic Forum, um, I think they they often dislike the idea that Davos is just a forum to do deals, right? And so they have a lot of these papers, and, uh, risks, risk reports, and of course, a lot of these discussions and debates. Do you think there is a possibility that, you know, the array of big business and political leaders um, that are out in force in Davos could actually bring all of that weight to bear in addressing some of these problems. I mean, this is what you said was an opportunity. Um, but how how likely do you think it is that action is actually taken and we move beyond talking to, to, to something concrete actually happening?
1: Uh, probably as good a chance as there has ever been, only because the threat is looking at them in the face. I mm-hmm. think it's hard for people to act when a quote-unquote threat feels abstract. And I think that's the way inequality has been viewed. I found this great quote from Joe uh, Stieglitz, who mm-hmm. which he said, GDP in the U.S. has gone up every year since, except 2009. But most Americans are worse off than they were a third of a century ago. The mm-hmm. benefits have gone to the top, the bottom real wages. Anyways, his, his view was this could cause problems. You know, we now... I think a lot of people could look at him and say, oh, he's an academic. He's an economist. What does he know? He's not in the real world. You you could discard those views. And now, you know, you've seen the most improbable to many people, a very improbable outcome uh, in two very different big world stages in the U.K. and in the U.S., also in Italy, uh, with many more to come. So I think if ever there was a time, this is it, I I don't know what kind of mobilization you would expect to see. It really is an ideas-sharing forum. So I'm not sure what the institutional structure for deciding chains. It's a supranational thing, right? So you mm-hmm. can't uh, – what do people need? They need growth. They need employment. There needs to be stronger social nets, mm-hmm. uh, probably a broad rethinking of education. Hopefully you start the discussion on those things. Uh, maybe there's a change in tone, more immediacy. More of a call to action. It will be interesting to see who steps up uh, to make the case. Last year, Justin Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, yeah, Citizen. that's the last one. year. Prime Minister, <laughs> uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was kind yeah. of the rock star of Davos, mm-hmm. right? And he was the model Davos man. He had a cabinet that was more than fifty percent women,
0: mm-hmm.
1: echoing all the things we wanted to hear. That seems a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know what a lot has happened in in the past year, and so I think. Who's going to step up? Who's going to be that person? And will they have a different message? Um, Xi Jinping is going to be there. He yeah, will first, be making the case yeah, for first free trade. Mm. I'm very interested to hear that speech. He might say nothing and it might lack substance. But interesting that he will be there the first time. What's he going to say? It's an opportunity to uh, make the case for free trade, mm. you know?
0: Indeed, yeah. I think he will... I suspect he will have a fairly, or at the very least, he'll be one of the big themes next week because he is, I think, effectively the, the probably the highest profile political leader at the event.
1: So Theresa May is now coming. Oh, is she coming? She okay. is coming and she'll be giving a speech, but Good. nothing personal to... Uh Miss May, but I please, think uh, please I think, go ahead. <laughs> no, I think that uh, I think he'll probably capture more of the limelight than you think? than she will. Uh, well, Joe Biden. The... Joe Biden will be there.
0: Oh, he's yeah, that would be great.
1: Outgoing instead of incoming, but mm. um, so. But in terms of high-profile names, I think he is. He's probably the biggest. He'll be the. I imagine that Congress hall will be quite packed.
0: Indeed, yeah. So in terms of other themes that you're expecting next week, what what else are you, I don't know if excited is too, too strong a word, but what what else are you interested in? Uh,
1: there's a lot I'm excited about. Okay, I mean, the, the, the irony of Davos is that, you know, for all of us, uh, myself included, who make fun of it um, for its uber elitism, mm-hmm. what is on offer there is an array of riches in terms of ideas and experts and people. And so... You know, pick the thing you're interested in. AI mm-hmm. is incredibly well-represented. There will be incredible panels. There are academics talking about uh, computing, STEM, closing the gender gap. Um, those are topics that are near and dear to my heart. I'm meeting mm-hmm. with a Canadian professor who's pioneered a really interesting new math program that's taking off in schools. So if you search, there's a lot to be found there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think AI and robotics will be a huge theme. Um, medicine is always an uh, a consistent theme um, there is they get a lot of uh, people on the forefront of curing cancer and immunotherapies, and so that's an interesting area you know for people who uh, want to go down that road but the the purported theme of responsible leadership is interesting, right What will people say about leadership right now so there's there is a lot on offer i, I don 't want to um, undermine that. I think my skepticism comes from what can be done mm. But in terms of what can be learned, the opportunities are, are very big yeah, and broad. Yeah, no,
0: I, think, I think that's a really good point. And you're right, there's been a, a lot of um, – a, a big focus on artificial intelligence. I mean, last year's theme, I think the fourth industrial revolution kind of prefaced all of that. But how, in terms of um, – the, the advances that you're seeing in AI and robotics, do you feel there's enough discussion going on about the threats that they pose as well to the kind of existing workforce uh, and existing education models?
1: I assume that due to the backdrop mm-hmm. against which this Davos is taking place, the conversation will have to address that, right? You can't just address the excitement and the blind promise of smart technology and AI, artificial intelligence, I think there will have to be a discussion of jobs. I have noticed there are a few panels that are specifically about uh, what jobs will be replaced and how to respond to that. Mm -hmm. To be fair, there's always panels about that. But Mm -hmm. I I think that will be a topic of discussion. I think another big theme – and I failed – another big theme will be energy. And I think that is particularly important – Uh, in a year where potentially there is less consensus, at least from the United States, around climate change. So who will step up and be the leaders? Will they try to convince uh, Mr. Trump that this is something he should take on? Uh, So what is the tone around energy, uh, both from uh, oil producers, very well represented as well, um, to think tanks? I think there will be a lot of conversation around that.
0: And for you personally, as a reporter at Davos, I mean, obviously, there's there's a lot of business people you can talk to. How important is it for you that, that there's quite a big civil society representation there now? There's NGOs, there's, there's think tanks. How helpful is that for you?
1: I find it's incredibly helpful. I just think the um, diversity, uh, mm. I feel like I'm undermining my own original statement <laughs> that there's a very strong consensus view, but you do have these two pillars. You have sort of banking, finance. Uh, You have politics. And then I think there's always been um, a small but interesting group of NGOs that are trying to solve problems at a local level, at a micro level, Mm -hmm. at um, speaking from experience on the ground. I find those people to be some of the most interesting people to talk to because there's no platitudes. It's not all about ideas. It's about what did I do to get water to this village? Mm -hmm. It is about how are we improving – uh, C sections in one hospital in one town in one country. You know, it's it's very specific, and as a reporter, I find that very mm-hmm. insightful. Sometimes compared to, you know, a, a panel on yet another year of quantitative easing from central banks around the world and what that means for asset prices.
0: Mm. Or even, I mean, as you as you pointed out earlier, it's 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 probably refreshing as well when you compare it with a lot of the business pronouncements on things like inclusion and so on which are often more talk than action. Absolutely. Um,
1: One thing I'm really excited about is I went to the He for She
0: uh United yeah. Nations
1: effort. There were 10 CEOs, mm-hmm. all men, on uh the stage and there were a few of them who came with ideas. Mm. Uh Sebastien Bazin, who's the head of Accor Hotels, he had created a millennial shadow board. Mm the idea being his board was kind of old and crusty, probably not his words, but mine, and he wanted an infusion of new ideas. He created this board. He gave them full access to all the materials the board got. They got to come to every meeting. Well, we now have a year worth of evidence. I can't wait to hear, if he's willing to talk about it, Mm. what's happened. So these CEOs had committed to very specific points, and they're coming back to report on what they did. So, again, um, I'm excited to hear whether what worked and what didn't. Hmm. This is useful. This, so this is around the theme of closing, uh, in, increasing inclusion, improving diversity, closing the gender gap, many other gaps. But these are specific ideas. How did they play out? And I think we can learn as much from the things that didn't work as did work, but at least we know what to hold, ask them about, what to hmm. sort of hold them accountable force, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that they're actually willing to go public and, and be quantified in that way. I mean, one of the big criticisms of business has been that um, when it actually comes to taking a stand, they, business leaders are often invisible. Um, I mean, what's your view on this? Do you think that 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 a, a business's CEO is, has a responsibility now to take a stand on whatever the, the, the big political themes of the day are?
1: I think if they don't, they're not going to have a workforce. Mm. I think if... Um We spend a lot of time criticizing millennials for their, um, to some, entitled and demanding views. On the other hand, they are demanding things that I see CEOs responding to. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are demanding a workplace that has more meaning and more value and kind of more rights for workers. And Mm -hmm. they don't want a workforce that's white and bald and middle-aged. They want a workforce that looks like the world they value. And so... I don't think these CEOs are acting out of the goodness of their hearts. They may have this—they might truly believe in these things. I don't know. I can't speak from that perspective. I think they will be responding because they have to, because there's a labor force imperative.
0: Mm, interesting. Because I was at a, uh, a discussion last year, and the I think it was the head of Oxfam um, pointed out, you know, there's there's a few CEOs that everyone mentions. There's Paul Pullman from Unilever, Howard Schultz from Starbucks— And then there's the rest of business who might talk about um, actually behaving for the social good or acting with purpose and so on, but really don't behave in that way and are still looking for ways to sidestep regulation and and so forth. Um, Do you think that's a fair characterization or do you think business is actually moving in the right direction now?
1: I think it's impossible to generalize. I, mm. I think it's really case by case. You've picked out a few, and I think they're, it depends on the leadership of the company. It depends on the culture of the company. You know, I think I watched the banking industry, the investment mm-hmm. banking industry, for a decade talk about the need to improve the gender balance, um, and they didn't do jack baloney to actually do it. They had a million committees and initiatives and mentorship programs and everything. But the point was the culture was toxic Mm. for people who had any demands on their lives beyond their jobs. Uh, And so have they changed that? I don't know. I would probably be a little bit skeptical that the workplace culture... I know they're much more aware. I know they are trying different things. They are bringing people in. Again, I think that's because... They want to make sure they're attracting the best talent they can. So uh, does it matter whether it's from the goodness of their own hearts or because that's what their potential employees demand? I, I don't think it does. I would mm-hmm. love for them to think I, – I think some people act um, with a strong sense of purpose. I recently wrote uh, – a big piece on Patagonia and it was you know it was about the on-site childcare center they mm-hmm. built and you know it's a typical tree hugging california company so <laughs> what's nothing surprising about the fact that Patagonia's you know got these great uh, policies that benefit their employees mm-hmm. but what really resonated with me was how much it was part of the ethos of everybody you talk to and that they felt it made them better employees more productive uh, more profitable you know, it was that was embedded and so you see examples of this, um, but it's not I don't think it's the norm. I think we are still in a in an era where short term profits, short term ism, the bottom line, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And so it's you know, it's a long journey.
0: And and just on that point about short termism, um Unilever CEO, Paul Pullman has been quite vocal about taking his company out of that short-term reporting cycle. I mean, how important a move do you think that was? And do do you think other companies might follow suit? I
1: can't think of... Uh, I can think of very few things that would be more effective mm. at trying to curb short-termism. I haven't noticed a huge stampede of people following him.
0: No, I can't think of anyone, actually.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Hmm. When it comes to CEOs being visible and taking a stance, why do you think they struggle with that? What what do they find challenging about that?
1: My guess is what they would tell you is that they have a board that they respond to and that they have shareholders that they respond to. And shareholders, while you and I sitting here in wonderful, diverse central London, may think that these are issues of great value – uh, the bottom line is what's of great value to a shareholder, be it a uh, Vanguard or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a mom and pop investor on the street. Mm-hmm. So is that an excuse? I don't know. They do have an obligation to be responsible to their shareholders. And so the question is how much does the broader population believe these things to be important, diversity, inclusion, uh taking a stand on things that matter. Mm. There are a lot of components. There are a lot of stakeholders. So how do we create boards? You know, this is where I think diversity on boards is very important, because if you have the board saying to the CEO, this is important, the CEO will drive that change,
0: Mm. or
1: he or she will probably lose his job. Uh, You know, if you look at, again, I, I hark back to this, and it's because I covered it for a long time, but investment banks, you know, the... What their boards have grappled with have been massive, multi-billion dollar fines, regulations, uh, the tectonic shifts of their business post-financial crisis. I think these other things are important, but definitely not their top three priorities right now.
0: Mm. Okay, interesting. Um, Looking ahead to Davos again next week, what do you think the conversation about President-elect Donald Trump will be like? How how do you think? How would you characterize it? Particularly compared to, as we discussed earlier, to last year when it was kind of dismissed as something that wouldn't happen and 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 you know not really that worthy of, of serious consideration.
1: Well, it'll be very interesting. Do we get? I think you could anticipate a lot of different lines of conversation. So the very personal CEO to CEO with no reporters anywhere in earshot, mm. my guess is that conversation goes, wow, didn't expect this, didn't see it coming, but man, is this going to be a boon for business. This is awesome. Right. Uh, with the reporters in earshot, um, doesn't stand for what I stand for, doesn't believe what I believe, but we have to cope with it and respond and potentially maybe look outside our bubbles a little bit. You know, I think it goes back to this question, do they respond with humility or with hubris? Right? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. My guess is there will be multiple versions of this. Um, I would hope to see some humility in that I don't think people anticipated this because they live in a bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's true of many of us. I think you could apply that to the liberal media as well. Um, I don't excuse myself from that in any way but so i think there will be nuance i think there will be people be talking about business opportunities i think there will be people talking about what this means for employment what this means for job creation what this means for trade i i would think that trade is going to be a gigantic topic of conversation are we headed for trade wars mm-hmm. is this all um is this a, a lot of talk and no action or potentially could we see a real reshaping of how global trade takes place um, will anybody admit that they were so wrong? I don't know. Interesting.
0: Oh, it would be hard to see anyone. I mean, you can't really find anyone that predicted it, certainly not from from Davos one year ago. No. It's, uh,
1: they didn't predict the financial crisis either. So, in, no. uh, I was talking to somebody who was there in 2008, mm. and he was saying it was remarkable that if you had cast back a year earlier – You had such a collection of very highly educated, very powerful people with a great deal of visibility on the markets, Mm. and no one saw it coming. Uh, So I guess maybe we could derive something about the power of forecasting and predictions from experts, quote-unquote experts.
0: Power of groupthink as well, I imagine. Power of groupthink. Because so many people in a small space, I feel like they – end up talking about talking about the same things, agreeing on, on everything, thinking the same way.
1: It's a very—it's hard to pinpoint how true that is. I mean, it's hard mm. to—but there really is a very iterative—like, every conversation almost has a similar tone. And I actually feel like that's a challenge as a reporter. How do you mm-hmm. go there and ask questions that people aren't thinking about, that takes them out of their comfort zone of talking points, that gets to something real and not just the same— empty platitudes, you know, they're trained to say a few things. Um, And arguably, every company and politician and civil servant and everybody has something interesting to say, whether they feel free to say it, and are willing to sort of do it, and whether we're smart enough to ask the right questions to get to it. It's a challenge, and we should step up to it.
0: Mm -hmm. Indeed. Any other themes that you're interested in for next week?
1: I think the future of Europe, post-Brexit is an incredibly important one. Um, Again, I don't know how much we can actually know. It's a lot of predicting, but we have so many important elections coming up. Um, We have a massive migration crisis that continues to be underway. We have Syria that should potentially be discussed as the greatest humanitarian crisis of this era, which nobody seems to be addressing. Someone said to me the other day after Obama's farewell speech... I wish he had cast a tear for what happened in Syria instead of casting a tear for Michelle. I mean, lovely as they both are, the idea that this is just a failure and hasn't even really been acknowledged as a failure. So um, I do think the future of the EU is a big question, Mm -hmm. um, and I hope to hear some views on uh, what that will be. I think probably the biggest change we'll see is for those who are predicting an outcome that is not the consensus view, my guess is this year people might listen a little harder instead of immediately discarding it as improbable and unlikely.
0: Mm. We can hope. Um, it's a busy week. There's a lot. I mean, and it's, events start at 7 a.m and they finish at past midnight. I mean, how hard do you find it, and how do you manage the workload during the week?
1: So I am loath to complain about my week sure. traipsing around a Swiss alpine resort, going from party to party and event to event. Um, it's super exhausting. Mm. It's kind of overwhelming. I constantly feel like I'm not doing the right thing or carving my time wisely. FOMO. But FOMO. It is the <laughs> ultimate FOMO uh, what was the right word for it? It, yeah. is, it is the ultimate. It's sort of like FOMO central, right? Yeah. You spend the entire week. Yeah, I mean, it's a great privilege. To, it's peak FOMO. Yeah. It is the ultimate privilege. You know, it's a great privilege to be able to go, and then you get there, and you suddenly feel, you know, shot back down to the bottom of the uh, of the pecking order. So uh, it's. I've tried to. I'm. I'm trying to approach it this year, a little bit differently. Instead of who I think I should talk to, mm-hmm. really looking. At it from the perspective of who do I think I can learn from,
0: Mm.
1: which makes you look at the agenda much differently. Um, So I'm thrilled that Jamie Dimon is going to be there, and I doubt that Jamie Dimon would have taken the time to talk to me, but I'm not even going to make the request this year. I'm really interested in talking to, as I said, this Canadian professor who put together— Well, it's his loss. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I know he's going to hear this, and he is going to be devastated. (laughs) doesn't know what to do without me.
0: (laughs) No, but I think you're right. There are opportunities, real opportunities to learn a lot there. And yeah, I suspect a lot of people do end up speaking to the same people that they would speak to every year.
1: Or even speaking, yeah, speaking to the same people. I had a funny conversation with a colleague a couple years ago where it turned out we had each interviewed the same CEO uh, and we were in the same organization and he hadn't mentioned it and we hadn't realized it. And it seemed like a sort of classic Davos screw-up.
0: <laughs> mm. Wow. So, and finally, um, I mean, what do you think about, I don't know whether you have thought about this, but, I mean, do, how big of an issue do you think is, is, is the actual reputation of the World Economic Forum? You know, it is kind of seen as, as, as just a huge junket. Uh, it's, you know, it's a huge amount of money is spent on all of these events. Um, it, it is, as you, you know, it's the, 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 a tiny... Top slice of the one percent uh, at a a beautiful alpine ski resort i mean do, do you feel like it does send out perhaps the wrong message at at this kind of a time, given everything that's happened last year?
1: It does, but it always has mm-hmm. um, i mean it it perhaps seems elevated this year, but you know this event has been taking place against the backdrop of horrible events everywhere mm-hmm. um, you know, be it wars or famines or... So there's always been, I just think, a... A whiff of almost absurdity about it. You know, the stories tracking how many private jets fly in or how many helicopters have landed, which by the way, we all read kind of mm. furiously. You know, yeah. we, we definitely want to read these stories. Kevin
0: Spacey. <laughs>
1: it's Kevin Spacey. That's <laughs> um, But I mean, that's a perfect example. You can almost make fun of Kevin Spacey coming to talk to all these bankers and, you know, playing up his house of cards. And yet as you watch it, it's thrilling. It's exciting to be in the same room with Kevin Spacey watching this. And so I guess... Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to know what to make of this. It's it, a little
0: it, absurd. I think you're right. It is. It's it is.
1: absurd, and yet, uh, given the opportunity to go, I'm not going to say no. So I guess I should um, sit comfortably with my own hypocrisy.
0: <laughs> well, I think you're you're doing a good job of of articulating why it's very useful for a reporter. So I don't think there's anything hypocritical necessarily. about Well, it that. is
1: a chance. I mean, considering. Um, so Quartz uh, did this great piece um, that looked at where people came. It, it's like a, a dot. I know. Graph. Yeah, I
0: use that every year. David uh, David Yanofsky uh, yes. does it every year, right? So,
1: But you look at that, and it does give you a sense of the op- that's the opportunity. The opportunity is to talk to the South American venture mm-hmm. capitalist and uh, the African entrepreneur and the Middle Eastern uh, oil tycoon and uh, – Philip Hammond, you know, I mean, there's just there really is a kind of incredible array of um, of people there and they're they are sort of wandering around. Yeah. I and mean, you can
0: you can talk to them as well. I find people are so accessible in Davos. It's kind of strange.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm just hoping to run into Sheryl Sandberg in the ladies room.
0: OK, well, good luck with that <laughs> and good luck with the event next week. Um, stay warm because uh, it is forecast, I think, to be one of the coldest Davos
1: One reason this year will be particularly stressful is that we are putting out a Davos daily brief, uh, which we did in Cannes as well, from Mm. one liberal media bubble event to the next, Mm. Uh, but that will require trying to capture the zeitgeist every day and sort of look forward and say what's the most exciting thing. So I think it will be a great product, which you can sign up for, Mm -hmm. qz.com, but I also think it will be a lot of work and uh, will probably only add to my FOMO anxiety.
0: Yeah, I guess, but it'll be of so much use to people, I suspect, that it will be, you know, you can feel somewhat worthy that you're actually doing some work whilst (laughs) whilst you're there. Um, I
1: did have an editor once at a very esteemed newspaper who told me, have fun at Davos, but make sure not to file anything because as soon as you go, you think everything's interesting and newsworthy and to the rest of the world, it truly is not.
0: (laughs) You could say that about a lot of events. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you all for listening to The Echo Chamber. Please um, rate and review us if you'd like on iTunes. Uh, You can get in touch with us via our website and we will be back probably post-Davos with some sort of a roundup of next week's World Economic Forum. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers.